Hello, I'm Victor Tabala and this is Expert Voice, Eagle Natural Health's podcast and your partner in natural health well-being. Joining us on the line today from Sydney is renowned cardiologist, Dr. Ross Walker. Dr. Walker is a leading practicing cardiologist with over 35 years experience in integrative cardiology with a focus on heart disease prevention and optimal heart health. He has built a reputation for his extensive research and advocacy for sustainable, healthy lifestyle changes and using beneficial supplements to reduce one's risk of modern day diseases such as cardiovascular disease. Dr. Walker is also the author of seven books, including The Life Factor and Five Stages of Health. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Dr. Walker to today's podcast. Dr. Walker, thank you very much for your time today and welcome to Expert Voice. My absolute pleasure, Victor. Thank you. The area of heart health is a major concern here in Australia, with the Australian Heart Foundation stating that cardiovascular disease is a major cause of death in Australia, with recent stats suggesting that 43,477 deaths in a single year is attributed to this, and this roughly equates to one Australian killed due to cardiovascular disease every 12 minutes, which is quite a staggering yet extremely concerning stat. And needless to say, it's one of Australia's largest health concerns. So today's podcast will not only cover heart health, but also reveal how factors such as food, a good diet, appropriate supplementation and other lifestyle factors could help maximise our chances of optimal heart health. So we'll kick off with the first factor, which is food. So Dr. Walker, can you explain why our heart health is so related to the foods we eat and where do you see this field moving in the future? Well, firstly, Victor, can I make the point that really I think we overdo the place of nutrition in heart disease. Can I, can I make this rather startling point that all heart disease is genetic? So 70% of heart disease is directly related to the insulin-resistant gene, 20% to lipoprotein little a, which occurs in one in five people, Mm -hmm. and 10% to less common things. So if you have the genes, then bad lifestyle will bring out the condition. So your genes loads the gun, but your environment pulls the trigger, and that's where diet is important. Now, I'm not saying for those of us who don't have those genes, we can eat what we like because nutrition is very much related to all diseases, not just heart disease, related to cancer, it's related to Alzheimer's, related to osteoporosis. So it's important for all of us to have a a good sound diet, but diet doesn't cause heart disease, genetics does. So in terms of food, Dr. Walker, what are some foods that can reduce our risk of heart disease? And are there certain diets that offer a way to integrate these foods into our daily lives? Yeah, that's a great question, Victor, because the interesting thing is we hear a lot about all these ridiculous fat diets, high fat, low fat, this fat, that fat, (laughs) and all this sort of nonsense. And the reality is the only diet that has proven long-term benefits is the Mediterranean diet. And the Mediterranean diet is nothing magical. It's very straightforward. It's having two or three pieces of fruit per day three to five servings of vegetables per day. Now, a serving is about a half a carrot, so we're not talking about buckets of vegetables, but three to five servings of vegetables per day. Now, if you do that alone, that gives people who follow that sort of dietary program the lowest rates of heart disease and cancer in the community. And you say, well, that's pretty easy. Well, if it's easy, how come less than 10% of people have two or three pieces of fruit per day, three to five servings of vegetables per day? So the Mediterranean diet has a whole lot of fruits and vegetables, and then little bits of meat, eggs, dairy, chicken, fish, nuts, and olive oil. 
and, and basically that's the Mediterranean diet. The problem in Western society is the this processed package muck masquerading as food, yes. often with graffiti written on the box like low fat or no cholesterol, which does absolutely nothing for anyone. So basically, if you can read the box, you know you shouldn't be eating the stuff in the first place. It should be good natural food. Nutrition's easy. It's called eat less and eat more naturally. And as far as as the Mediterranean diet goes, I think the olive oil component is very important. So in the Mediterranean, they basically dip their whole grain bread in olive oil. They put it on their salads and they and they cook you know, in extra, extra virgin olive oil. And here's one of the con jobs of the food industry. They have the term extra light. They can't even spell light properly. And, and basically what extra light olive oil is, is they've ripped all the polyphenols, the strong plant chemicals, same fat content, but it has all the polyphenols taken out of it. So if you're going to use olive oil, use the most natural form, which is the extra virgin olive oil. So, And having, for example, 10 or 15 natural nuts every day, five different epidemiologic studies have shown that reduces your risk for cardiovascular disease up to 50%, better than these damn drugs we're throwing at people. That's right. So, so there's your diet. So forget about all these fad diets. And I, I actually am concerned about people who go on radical diets over the age of 50 because the big problem I mentioned in the introduction that 70% of heart disease is related to insulin resistance. Now, insulin resistance is the most common genetic abnormality in the world. 30% of Caucasians are insulin resistant, 50% of Asians are insulin resistant, and close to 100% of people with darker or, or olive skin are insulin resistant. And when you then expose them to Western crap, all the processed packaged muck we're talking about, and white death, white death being sugar, white bread, rice, pasta, and potatoes, it goes straight to the belly. And that belly fat that people have, the abdominal fat that people have, is not just an ugly lump of lard. It's a toxic reservoir that's held onto all these dreadful chemicals over the years. And if you break that down rapidly with one of these rapid weight loss diets, all the crap goes into your central circulation mm -hmm. and can overload the circulation. So I've seen a number of people have heart attacks and strokes when they go onto Atkins or Paleo or one of those diets, right? rather than just following a good, sensible diet, the Mediterranean diet. Wow. And that's really one of the concerns, isn't it? That we are bombarded, particularly on TV, with so much of this crap you talk about, packaged foods and so forth. And I was always told that, you know, when you go to the supermarket to shop for food, always shop at the extreme ends of the supermarket. So, you know, where all the fresh produce is rather than in the middle where all the boxed processed stuff is, uh, where you're better off eating the box rather than eating the contents, right? You probably get more nutrition that way. Absolutely. I want to bring in a couple of points here. Firstly, we've been conned into this low-fat nonsense for 50 years. Now, I want to quote a recent trial called the Pure Study. Now, the Pure Study had two components. The first component was 135,000 people followed for nine years in 50 different countries, so a huge study, and that showed that people who had the highest carbohydrate intake, the white death I've mentioned, mm -hmm. had a 28% increase in death. People who had the highest fat intake had a 23% reduction in death, and those who had the highest saturated fat intake, i.e. meat, eggs, and dairy, had a 14% reduction in death. 
So if you hear any health professional say that saturated fat is linked to heart disease, they're not keeping up with the modern evidence. Now, the second component of the Pure study was released last year, 2018, and this was they incorporated more patients into the trial. Now, 220,000 people in 50 different countries followed for nine years and showed that those who had three servings per day of high-fat dairy, what I just said, high-fat dairy, dairy, and 100, 100 grams a day of red meat had a 25% reduction in cardiovascular disease and death. So I, we've got to put this nonsense about saturated fat being bad for you. We've just got to put it in the dustbin of bad medical history. It's just not yeah. true. So if people want to look at the foods that are bad for you, look at the foods that put on fat around your belly, such as white death and all the processed packaged foods, and get those out of, out of your diet. Get the processed carbohydrates, the processed fats. So the processed fats are the trans fats, so the stuff they use to thicken and and harden food so it can sit in a box for three months. How oh. could that be good for you? Oh, terrible, terrible. That's, um, yeah, one of my favorite um, analogies of that very fat, that trans fat you talk about, is when you're comparing peanut butter to peanut butter and I always talk about and I always mention when I talk to to people who are asking about what the better quality is or what the better brand is just simply look at the packaging and just check to see if it's natural but more importantly check to see if the the actual oil content is still oil not solidified fat yep. uh, and that's the problem with a lot of our trans fats in our foods that they don't change shape at all they don't, no. they don't change their nature. They'll remain solid. So you can imagine that sort of fat potentially being one of the factors in, you know, in, in heart disease in terms of blocking arteries and, and so forth. It's just, yeah, very concerning. Well, well, think of it like this, Victor. If it can thicken and harden the food, yep. what is it doing to your arteries? Absolutely. Thickening and hardening them. It's what we call atherosclerosis, uh-huh. hardening the arteries. And another con job I wanted to put you onto here was when you see these cholesterol-lowering margarines on the television. Oh, <laughs> because yes. they'd lower, they lower LDL cholesterol. So here's a big con job. Everyone thinks that LDL is bad and HDL is good, and that is complete nonsense. LDL and HDL are divided into small bits and large bits, and this is where size is important. The small bits are bad, the large bits are good of LDL and HDL. So small LDL is the bits of the LDL that are easily oxidized by free radicals and get into your arteries. Large LDL is vital for the production of healthy cell membranes, healthy cell metabolism, steroid metabolism, bile salt metabolism, vitamin D metabolism. We need large LDL. So when you take a cholesterol-lowering margarine, you're only getting rid of the good bits of the large LDL. When you're taking a statin, you're just pulverizing LDL, both small and large. So yes, you're getting rid of some of the the bad bits, but often you're getting rid of some of the good bits as well. So there's a lot of, I think, misconceptions out there. The public still believe this LDL, HDL nonsense, and they don't understand the small versus large bits, which is really where it's important. So, So when I hear about anything lowers LDL, I ask myself, well, what part of LDL is it lowering? Because I know what parts I don't want lowered, and that's the large LDL. And I guess on that point too, Dr. Walker, the large LDLs, you mentioned before some of the benefits of large LDL. Can I put to you, this is a, sort of a question without notice, sure. do you think because of a lot of the hormonal issues that we're seeing, both in male and female, particularly as they're aging, 
and with of course the introduction of such foods such as you know cholesterol lowering margarine or even the statin drugs are these having an impact on our hormonal levels well, let me tell you an anecdote, not a clinical trial, an anecdote. Okay. I saw a 35-year-old man came to see me as a patient. Yep. And, and he came to see me because his cholesterol was high and some doctor had put him on to 40 milligrams of Lipitor, 35 years old. And I said, what are you taking this for? He said, to lower my cholesterol. I said, yeah, what are you taking this for? And he, I said, you don't need it. There was no reason a 35-year-old man in this particular case, needed to be on Lipitor. He had no other risk for heart disease, no family history, etc. Mm-hmm. But because the, the doctor saw his cholesterol nudging up, he's immediately put under one of these damn statins. He went on to tell me, and I think this is medical negligence, he went on to tell me that his wife had been through three unsuccessful cycles of IVF. I said, it's the damn Lipitor pulverizing your sperm. He goes off the, the Lipitor. Within six months, she gets pregnant naturally. Now, I think it's a disgrace, Victor, yeah. that, that a young woman had to go through IVF because her husband was inappropriately put on a treatment he didn't need. And obviously affecting, well, subsequently affecting um, such an important part of his, of his, of his anatomy, well, not his anatomy, but his physiology. His, pathways, his yeah. physiology, yeah, exactly. That um, is an enable, you know, disenabling him to be able to achieve what he wants to achieve. So, and, and again, Dr. Walker, like, who would think who would even, like in terms of the general public, who would even imagine that that connection is there in terms of infertility and heart disease? Like on paper, like on the surface, it doesn't sure. seem like a link, but when you look and at I've it that seen way. That, yeah. I gave you an anecdote, but I've seen that on a number of occasions. I can't quote a paper because there hasn't been a paper done on it. Yeah, wow. So again, that that's just something extremely valuable for our practitioners out there and for the public to be well aware of, particularly well, can, when... Can I make, seeing we're talking about statins, can I make a point here? Absolutely. In my it. view, as a practicing cardiologist, the only people who should be on statins, and they should be prescribed for some people in my view, mm-hmm. are people that have a high coronary calcium score, which is the best way to detect early heart disease. You have a CT scan, takes a non-invasive picture of your arteries, no dye, no injection. So if they come at you with a needle, they're doing the wrong test, an intravenous CT angiogram, which shouldn't be done in this situation. And all males at 50, all females at 60 should have the coronary calcium score. So if your calcium score is high, which means you've got a lot of atherosclerosis, yes, I think it's legitimate to be on a statin. If you've already had a standard heart attack or a bypass, I think it's legitimate to be on a statin. But no one else, in my view, should be on a statin. So with the coronary calcium score technique, is that freely available? Oh, freely available, yeah. Any good radiology practice has a CT scanner that has the software package that can do this test. And, And as I said, it should be routine for all males at 50 or females at 60, but For example, I'll give you an outlier case. I have a 32-year-old patient, female patient, who has a cholesterol of 12.4. Now, the only way you can get a cholesterol of 12.4 is picking the wrong relatives. It's a condition called familial hypercholesterolemia. It's absolutely genetic. It's got nothing to do with your lifestyle. You can be on the most boring, as extremely boring diet as you like, and and you'll still have a cholesterol of 12.4 if that's what your genetics are telling you. So anyhow, this woman's father died at 31 of a heart attack. So I did a coronary calcium score on her. Now, I typically don't do calcium scores on women until they reach 60. But I did a calcium score on her, and she already had a significant amount of muck in her arteries. So I'm hammering her with a statin. I'm getting her cholesterol down as close to four as I can because she needs it. But equally, I've got a lady of 58 came to see me, and she had a cholesterol of 95 
she tried statins before, couldn't lift her arms from muscle pain. So she came to see me. I sent her downstairs because I got a calcium scoring service under my practice and her calcium score was zero. So I said, I don't think you need treatment for your cholesterol. I'd ignore it. So for the next eight years, every scaremongering doctor who saw us said, if you don't take Lipitor, you're going to die, which is, it's just ill-informed nonsense to say that to anyone. So anyhow, she came back to see me after eight years of resisting going back onto a statin, uh, now 66 years old, cholesterol still 9.5, sent her downstairs, another calcium score, still zero. Still zero. Wow. Yep. She doesn't need statins. And it's reassuring from someone in your position, Dr. Walker, to discuss this, uh, these very important points about cholesterol because the stigma is still out there, isn't it? You know, cholesterol oh, rings, Can I say, yeah, it just rings alarm bells. A study done in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, one of the most respected journals in cardiology in the world. This was October 2015, where they looked at 5,000 people in the US over the age of 50, followed them for 10 years. 77% of the people in their trial fitted the US criteria to be on a statin, but half of them had a zero calcium score, and their event rate, their heart attack rate over the 10 years was so low, the conclusion of the trial statins are worthless for people with zero calcium scores. So this is what we've got to get into our skulls. Absolutely. And that's the concern that I see because in my dealings, particularly when I see, when I talk and educate a lot of pharmacists, they're still saying to me that statin drugs are still amongst their top five, maybe even top two drugs that they no, prescribe no, no, on no, a regular no, basis. No, 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 Victor. Number one. Number one. Oh, two. okay. Statin drugs are the most <laughs> widely prescribed drugs in Australia. There are 19 million scripts written every year for statins in Australia. So that's 12 scripts per person per year. That means just under 2 million people have been prescribed statins on a yearly basis by the medical profession. And I want to tell you another study that's really important here. And this is a study of 68,000 people followed for 10 years. And, and this study, this over the age of 60, yeah. and this study found that there is absolutely no link over the age of 60 between LDL cholesterol and heart disease. But... Over the age of 60, the higher your LDL, the longer you live, the less cancer, gastrointestinal disease, and infectious disease you have. Why? Because if your LDL is going to get you, it's small LDL and it'll get you before age 60. So over the age of 60, the LDL cholesterol is not a risk factor for heart disease if you don't have existing heart disease. Complete nonsense, all this stuff. And I would imagine then in that situation over 60, that LDL would be the large LDL that you're of course, talking that's, about. That's exactly yeah. right. That's why they've made it to 60 without heart disease. But I've, I've got a 35-year-old man who's already had three stents in his coronary arteries, and his only risk factor for heart disease is that he has a high, small LDL cholesterol. That's it. That's it. That's yep. the only... Wow. Okay. So that's... This is refreshing. Well, I, I guess... It's dramatic, but also refreshing to know that it's not the be-all and end-all when you get a result back from your doctor suggesting that your cholesterol levels are high. It's all about divulging further into the information, speaking to your doctor further, or getting you know more appropriate advice. Because as mm. I said before, cholesterol is still such a there's still a stigma attached to it in in society, and we're still oh, seeing yeah. you know those margarines being sold everywhere. And oh, well, the margarines, the statins being prescribed everywhere, and you know what disturbs me, Victor, is when I, people get the inference that the key to good health is lowering a number in your bloodstream with a drug. Uh-huh. Yep. The key to good health is practicing healthy lifestyle principles. That's it. 
That's that's 80% of anyone's management, regardless of your genetics. And so the worst calcium score I have is a 68-year-old man in the fitness industry who has no standard risk factors for heart disease, normal cholesterol, normal blood pressure, never smoked, not diabetic, and no family history. But both his parents have joined together to give him an elevated lipoprotein little a, and his calcium score, any above 400 serious, his is 8,500. His arteries were like porcelain pipes and he needed bypass surgery, and I've got him on statins. So you mentioned people of all ages, Dr. Walker, so you know, from your 80-year-olds, 70-year-olds, right through to the 30-, 35-year-olds that you've been seeing in your practice. So we do know that cardiovascular disease is a concern for people of all ages. So in your opinion, is there a certain age at which we need to consume more of our healthy foods to help support our heart health? Yeah, it should start about age zero. Age zero. There yeah, we go. I, I, I think that, <laughs> that we should be concentrating on good quality diet and, and I'll talk about it towards the end, but the yep. five keys of being healthy from the day we're born. And the more you look after yourself throughout your life, the healthier you are. And so, no, I, I don't think there's any age where people should start thinking about it. But the problem is many people up to the age of 30 think they're bulletproof and don't even think about these things. But people start to think about their health 30, maybe 40. And uh, I, I call the decade of the 40s the decade of your metabolism because that's when things start to slow down. Because yeah. as you're well aware, Victor, we're only designed to work well for 30, 40 years wandering around a jungle with a spear, and that's <laughs> it. So 30 is the peak of anyone's life, mm-hmm. and it all starts going uh, pear-shaped after that. And when you hit 50 and the hormones go south, it's even more rapid deterioration. So the more you look after yourself, the more you follow a healthy diet, the more you have a good healthy exercise practice, that's where you're looking to, to have the greatest benefit for your health, but do it as early as you can start. Wonderful advice there, Dr. Walker. I'm in that decade of, uh, of metabolism now, as you said, in my 40s. So, um, so yeah, uh, it's just, uh, again, that there's no wage that you, sh- you, know, you should limit yourself to, to looking after yourself, really. It should be from, a, from, 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 yeah, from day zero, from the time you Absolutely. pop out, basically. So, all right, so moving on. So we talked about foods and Mediterranean diet, but also there's specific nutrients and also supplements that can also play a role. So in your opinion, Dr. Walker, is there a place for adding supplements to a diet designed for optimum heart health? Oh, absolutely. I I think that probably in our 30s, just if we're generally healthy, everyone should start taking a good quality multivitamin, some form of omega-3 every day. And then as we get a bit older, you can go to the other supplements that are available. So, for example, one of my favorite supplements is the active version of coenzyme Q10, which is ubiquinol. Ubiquinol, yeah. Here's, here's the problem. In your 20s and 30s, even if you took coenzyme Q10, you'll still get a benefit. But when you hit 50, the enzyme that metabolizes ubiquinone, which is standard CoQ10 to ubiquinol, starts to drop off. The enzyme is called diaphorase. And so, so as the diaphorase levels drop, the... Active CoQ10 in our mitochondria start to drop off as well. So I say, why not just go straight to the source and use ubiquinol? And there's some really good evidence base for ubiquinol doing a whole host of things, not just for cardiovascular disease, but there's some evidence that it relieves stress. There's some evidence that's good for sports performances as well. That is a study of 100 young German athletes, average age 19, gave them 300 milligrams of ubiquinol and found that they had a much better performance at sport. So it's it's good for there. But for example, as we get older, I'm well over the age of 50. I won't tell you exactly how old I I am, but (laughs) I take ubiquinol and magnesium orotate every day just to give me energy because it drives the mitochondria. 
all my patients on statins. I put them on somewhere between 100 to 150 milligrams a day of ubiquinol. My patients who have heart failure, I give them 300 milligrams a day of ubiquinol. And there's a very good evidence base for all of this sort of stuff. And in fact, an interesting study that was done in um, in Sweden came out a couple of years ago. 443 elderly people, average age, I think it was 74. Those who were given 200 milligrams a day of just straight CoQ10, not even ubiquinol, mm-hmm. um, and 200 micrograms a day of selenium, were treated for four years, then followed up for another six years after that, found a 50% reduction in death just by taking those supplements. So if you take the even stronger ubiquinol, I think you get even more bang for your buck. And I'm just, I'm just imagining the figures that you stated there. Could you imagine if a medication could do that? Like how how many companies will be falling over themselves? Of how many pharmaceutical companies will be falling over themselves to want to patent such a drug that can do that? Like, and mm. this can just be simply by taking CoQ10, or uh, even more importantly, the activated version, which is of course ubiquinol. And the point is, if ubiquinol went on to script and only doctors could prescribe it, we're prescribing it for everyone. But the, these days, it's a choice, and, and it's not covered by the PBS scheme in Australia. So I say to people, just buy it yourself because it's a tremendous supplement. And especially, as I said, the, the big indication is for energy. And tell me how many people over the age of 50 aren't tired. <laughs> for statin therapy, for um, certainly for heart failure, they're, they're, they're the places where I see it's really, really important. But I think it's a good general benefit for people. And the general uh, consensus uh, when you speak to fellow practitioners in our field is that if particularly if someone's been prescribed statin drugs, is to combine ubiquinol at the same time with that if they have to take it, if the doctor's uh, advising them to take that. So do you, um, do you endorse that as well? Oh, absolutely. All my patients on statins, I get them to take ubiquinol and magnesium orotate because the orotate, so the orotate salt of magnesium lifts the CoQ10 up in the mitochondria. So that's why I use them together. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, I'm a big fan of the Oritate version myself. I find it's also, uh, you talk about the mitochondria and its support for energy production and so forth. So it does have, uh, that combination has a lot of far-reaching effects. So apart from the cardiovascular um, side of things that we've been discussing today, we're talking about energy. So for high performance, like you suggested a couple of studies there that actually um, confirmed or verified um, their, their the actions of um of nutrients such as ubiquinol when it comes to improving um, high performance and so forth. So it does have a lot of far-reaching effects health-wise and not just for cardiovascular. Are there any other supplements or other nutrients apart from the, apart from the multivitamin, the omega-3s and the ubiquinol? Oh, yeah, uh, and there, the magnesium orotate, of course? Yeah, there's a, there's a, a supplement called Bergamet Pro Plus, which... Um, which has profound effects on shifting you from small to large LDL, which also ubiquinol does as well, shift you from the small to the large. It has an effect on the GLUT4 pathways, so therefore reduces the risk for diabetes. We're about to publish some data. I do a lot of work with the Italians on this substance, um, which is the bergamot polyphenolic fraction. Uh, we've shown reversal of fatty liver in experimental animals taking this as well. It improves the microcirculation, so that's a terrific supplement. I'm a great believer in the Kyolic Aged Garlic Extract. Uh, that's been shown in uh, in 
two capsules a day of this stuff can reduce blood pressure similar to a, a typical antihypertensive. Uh, four capsules a day, a colleague of mine in California called Matt Budoff has done some studies to show reversal of coronary artery disease with four capsules a day of that. And vitamin K2, vitamin K2, 180 micrograms a day takes the calcium out of your arteries and puts it back in your bones where it belongs. So you can see there's all these different supplements and to me the workhorses are the multivitamin and the omega-3s. All of these things can really give people extra benefit over and above a healthy lifestyle, which to me is not negotiable. And that omega-3 component you talk about, again, you, you revert back to your the uh, information you were giving earlier about the Mediterranean diets and, of mm. course, the, the impact of omega-3s from the olive oil and perhaps maybe even the small amounts of fish that they may be consuming in that diet as well. Yeah, so, absolutely. again, bringing in that importance from a food perspective, but also as an easy-to-take supplement as well. So, and can I just say one thing, Victor, on that? Yep. We keep using the term supplement, and I think that's the key here. We're not talking replacement to a healthy lifestyle. Yes. These substances are supplements to a healthy lifestyle. So don't come in with the fag hanging out of your mouth or, or um, grossly obese and think the supplements are going to do much. You've got to have the lifestyle changes first. It's that holistic approach that we always espouse, isn't it? That uh, yep. diet, lifestyle. And speaking of lifestyle, you touched upon it a little bit uh, earlier there. Are there any other lifestyle choices we can make to reduce oh. our heart disease risk? I'm sure you've got a plethora to talk about here. Absolutely. There's, it's what I call the five keys of being healthy. And all of my work's based around the number five. But we'll, we'll go for the five keys of being healthy. And this comes from a evidence-based trial called the Morgan Study, M-O-R-G-E-N, out of Holland. And this showed that if you practice the five keys of being healthy, number one, you cannot be healthy and have any addiction. So you can't be healthy and smoke, drink too much grog or snort cocaine. So number one, no addictions. Number two, good quality sleep. Now the study shows that seven to eight hours per, per night of good quality sleep is as good for your body as not smoking. Number three, we've, we've spoken about it extensively today, which is nutrition. So eat less and eat more naturally. And number four, which I call the second best drug on the planet, which is three to five hours every week of moderate exercise. You don't have to go overboard. And number five, the best drug on the planet beats everything else hands down is a thing called happiness. Now, this Morgan trial showed that those people who practice those five things the best had an 83% reduction in cardiovascular disease. And we talk about statin drugs giving a 20 to 30% reduction in a heart attack, whereas you, you've got a technique there I've just given everybody, which is totally inexpensive, and it's just a matter of putting the effort in, 83% yes. reduction in cardiovascular disease. Please, Victor, tell me one medical intervention that's as good as that. Oh, I'm struggling to think, Doc. I don't think we're even close. That's 83%. 83%. Wow. Yep, wow. absolutely. Why don't you and I package that into a pill or something, Doc, and we can... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the public would love the pill. I'm oh. sure they'd love it. Oh, that's the problem. Unfortunately, that one doesn't exist. And again, the, there's a fellow called Napoleon Hill who many years wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. And the two success principles he said to think and grow rich are discipline and perseverance. And that's exactly what we're talking about with the five keys of being healthy, discipline and perseverance. Absolutely. And that's another area as well, because I guess in this day and age of modern medicine and the, you know, and the effect or the perceived effect that we get from taking drugs like Panadol, for example, people want that quick fix, that magic bullet. They don't want to wait 
five years, 10 years or 20 years. Forget that. Yep. They want their relief or their, they want their symptoms or their diseases cured right now in the first week or so. And that's, I guess, what we're up against uh, because there are, you know, that mindset is, is out there. So it's all about taking it back to basics and persisting. Absolutely. People want to think there is is a pill solution to every problem or a surgical solution to every problem. But the the reality is, yes, we can give you pills for every problem and we can do surgical procedures for every problem, like the gastric reduction surgeries or the, the bariatric surgery for obesity. But there's another way of losing weight. It's called don't eat as much and do more exercise. But where's the money in that, Doc? That's exactly the point. <laughs> and um, off air, uh, as we're about to conclude shortly, unfortunately, I mean, we can talk about this, you know, this, this topic for ages. We spoke off air um, earlier today about, about studies that are being published in regards to some of our longer-lived uh, populations around the world. Um, yep. That are you know living till the hundred. Yeah, you know, a lot of you know many centenarians in certain parts of the world, and it's called the blue zones diets. And uh, we speak about their sorts of diets that they do, but not only that, other principles or other areas that they practice. So, would you like to share a bit more about the blue zone studies? Yeah, the, the blue blue zones are actually quite spectacular, and and these people haven't heard of modern medicine. So basically, we're talking about these little pockets around the world where they're they're in many ways isolated from the rest of the world. So we're talking about the people of Okinawa in Japan, an uh-huh. island in Japan. We're talking about Ikaria in Greece. We're talking about Sardinia in Italy. We're talking about a certain province in Costa Rica. And we're talking about the, um, the Seventh-day Adventists who live in Loma Linda in Southern California. And they all have relatively similar characteristics. So, for example, the Okinawans practice a thing called Hari Hachupu, and I must apologise for my lack of Japanese pronunciation (laughs) there. But this is basically eating to be 80% full. Now, I don't know if these people have a fullometer on their stomach, and when they get to 80%, they stop, but they never feel full. And and so we we have these all-you-can-eat salad bars that don't have any salad in them. And so, so people just consume and consume and consume, but they don't eat much. So, so they keep their weight down. They're constantly moving. They eat only natural foods. They have a strong sense of purpose. They have a strong sense of family. They, they respect older people. There's just so many simple life principles that the people of the Blue Zones perform. They, but many of them have a glass or two of wine a day, but they don't, they don't drink to excess. So it's all about what the Buddhists call the middle path, not going overboard, but certainly keeping up the activity. Interestingly, a lot of these places are rather hilly, so they've got to walk up and down hills, and they don't do any exercise per se. They're just constantly moving and That's going right. up and down hills. So it, it's there's no gyms in these places. You wouldn't need it in a place like Sardinia. I've seen, I've never been there, but I've seen the photos of Sardinia. It's such a, you know, you've got, you've got treacherous cliffs and mountains and so forth. You've got to be a mountain yeah. goat to live there. That's exactly be, right. Yeah, that's, that, that's right. And yet you see, and that's the really um, fascinating part of it. Like you see, uh, when you look at the studies, like you see um, these centenarians, they're, you know, obviously in their 100s, still climbing, walking up these hills. You know, these are shepherds that are still tending to their mountain goats and yep. and. and and so forth, and they look as fit, as, you know, fit as a fiddle. Yeah, they're they're, they're still, you know, climbing the such big hills, and um, it doesn't disturb them at all. Well, it's because Victor, they haven't been exposed to modern 
rubbish, the modern rubbish of processed packaged food, sedentary jobs where you sit in your bum all day, yes. and the chronic stresses of living. They they have very simple lives with simple principles, and they they very as I said, very strong sense of family and sense of purpose in their life. And and so many people in our society feel lonely, isolated disconnected from from the world they have these boring jobs where they sit there all day and doing their heads in from the jobs and, and it, it's a completely different attitude to living and these people as i said they live to their 100 our average longevity in this country is around 80 so there you go and that's the key point living they're actually living in other words they're yep. still up you know they're still out there out and about doing their thing and with a big smile on their face that's 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 it that's the you know that's that whole happiness factor that you spoke about before so um and uh, yeah on the, on that note um you spoke before about about the foods that they eat and I'm thinking you would never in Sardinia, for example, or in Icaria in Greece, you're never going to find a bottle of Light's olive oil, right? Oh, no. <laughs> no. And that's the, that was the other fascinating part about the study. I saw that, you know, the foods that they were consuming, you know, whether it's the wine or the olives that they were consuming, it's, that it's very, very rich in those polyphenols that you alluded to earlier. Yep. So, polyphenols are so important. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's great that we have you know, such cultures out there that are pretty much living this. They're, they're, they're living health. They're, they're living proof that activity and social engagement, you know, a healthy diet can play such a massive role in general health and well-being, and ultimately in terms of what we're talking about today, preventing issues regarding cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular health in general. So it's so interesting and fascinating to hear about the important role that diet and in particular certain nutrients can play when it comes to our heart health not to mention of course a lot of lifestyle factors so i'm very interested to see how this integrated approach to combating heart disease continues to grow as we become more and more aware of the impact that diet and lifestyle has on our health so dr walker thank you so much for taking us through these critical points today it's my absolute pleasure, Victor, and it's been great talking with you, and I hope everyone's benefited from our discussion. And we encourage you to consult with your healthcare practitioners for advice on whether supplements are suitable for you. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd appreciate you jumping onto iTunes to provide us with a rating and a review. If you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us via the Eagle Natural Health website, which is www.eaglenaturalhealth.com. Dot com dot au in the contact us section. I'm Victor Tabala. Thanks for listening.